is good to be in the house of the Lord on this Wednesday night. And it's good to see all of you here. Amen. Clap your hands to the Lord and let's thank you. Praise God. Amen. What? We've had a great summer, my Lord. It's already whizzed past us. And Christmas is bearing down. And... Uh, Believe it or not, before you blink an eye, it's going to happen. We're in the great month of September. It's a great opportunity to regroup, refocus, and to re-energize ourselves spiritually and uh, prayerfully. I would ask you to join with me. I think Saturday night prayer needs to be revived so Saturday night, 6 o'clock, uh, some have already been coming. They had never stopped coming, but many of us have gotten busy. And I know Saturday's a busy time. I found this out about prayer. There's never a good time to pray. Monday night, oh no. Tuesday night, we have this. Wednesday night, we got church. Thursday night, we got... Friday night. Saturday night. So we have to make time to pray. And I feel like that is an urgent need. And I feel deeply convicted. I pray God would talk to you as well. We've been on a cruise all summer. Gave away a great cruise to one of our wonderful seniors and she has instantly become the most popular woman in the church. I heard people exchanging numbers with her, calling her friend. So who knows how how that's going to turn out, but uh, it was a great time, had a great fellowship. It's it's, it's a new, new time And we're going to follow up what we've been doing this summer, going to spend a little time talking to you about an old-fashioned subject called discipleship. And I want to take you with me for a little while. We're going to go several passages. We'll read a few, and then I'll let you be seated. You know what? Go ahead. You can be seated now. We're going to go to the book of Matthew chapter 4. To begin with, and we're going to begin reading with verse number 17, and then we're going to read down to verse 22, and then we'll go to John chapter 1 and verse 35. But let's begin with Matthew gospel. Uh, It is important to remember something about Matthew being the tax collector and the organizer. I've mentioned this before. Many of the things that you find in his his writings are very ordered and structured. And one of the first things that you run into is what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And it is very unlikely, very unlikely that that was just one lengthy sermon but it was Matthew compiling all of the pertinent information that Jesus had shared with his disciples 
about being disciples. And it's very powerful and don't read it if you don't want to get stirred. Because it will get down where you live really quick. But let's begin with Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. The scripture, and I'm reading from the new, uh, the the NET version, the New English Translation. Uh, So it may be a little different than what you have on the screen. They may have that. I forgot to give that to them, my, my mistake. I'm going to make a few more mistakes tonight, Brother Chad, so you might as well get ready. Aren't you glad for all the people that work behind the scenes? We've got people upstairs that you don't even see every service that are making sure that our live stream and our recording is uh, is going out and then making sure that you can see it later or listen to it later. So I want to thank those good men. And I don't know if we have any ladies working in it yet, but we're getting more involved. All right, let's read. From that time, Jesus began to preach the message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is what he did when John was put in prison. And verse number 18 said, And he was walking by the sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers. Let me go back and correct that. It was when John's, Ministry was coming to a close. Still have a little bit of uh, a COVID fog brain working. So you'll have to forgive me. Verse 18. And he was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me. And I will turn you into fishers of people. They left their nets immediately and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. Then he called them, and they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Now let's turn to John chapter 1, and we'll pick up in verse number 35. And again the next day, John was standing there with two of his disciples, gazing at Jesus. He walked by, as he walked by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Jesus turned around and saw them following and said to them, what do you want? So they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? Jesus answered, come And you will see, so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. Now it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon, was one of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, 
which is translated Christ. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. On the next day, Jesus wanted to get out or set out for Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the town of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found one who Moses wrote about in the law. And the prophets also wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael replied, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip replied, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and exclaimed, look a, true Israelite, look, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, how do you know me? Jesus replied, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I want to begin there. One of the portion, Luke, I didn't give you this, Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Then he said to them all, everybody say all. He said to them all, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Over the next few weeks, I would hope that we could explore in depth what it actually means to be a disciple All over again. What does a true disciple look like? I think that in the world in which we live, in the times in which we live, I think we need that picture held up before us all the time. What does a true disciple look like? And what makes a true disciple? We are going to look at many passages of scripture, in particular the Sermon on the Mount, many other passages that will spell out very clearly to you and I what being a disciple looks like. It is interesting to me that the scripture says, according to Matthew, that when Jesus began his ministry, He began preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then a few verses later, it says of him, and he sat down and he taught them, saying. 
It seems to me that what Matthew was trying to indelibly imprint upon those who would read his gospel is that in the Sermon on the Mount, you have the description of what a repentant life should look like. That if you truly repent and you turn away from your former self and your former desires and you follow the Lord, that this is what your life will look like. And it is an amazing study that we will not go into tonight, but perhaps we can explore it more deeply in the next few weeks. But the term disciple has almost lost its meaning in our culture. It is thrown around very carelessly. And I would say that the true meaning of A disciple has been lost. And if not lost, it has been greatly diminished by the postmodern thinking of, of our day. So I think it's good that we begin with the definition and remind ourselves of what a real disciple is. A disciple simply means a pupil, a learner. One who is following another. One who applies what he has learned to his own life and lives it out on a daily basis. Literally speaking, the, dis, the, the term disciple was not a new term that Jesus coined only for his followers. But it was a very common term among the realm of the religious, of those who followed and they pursued certain teachers. And so in their way of thinking, this is the concept that they understood when Jesus used the term disciple In describing those who were following him, they understood it to mean that he was one who was following a master teacher and who would adhere to and obey and observe and keep the teachings of this master teacher. And so when Jesus chose that term to describe You and I, who we should be and ought to be, he did it purposely because he wanted us to understand what following him looked like and what it meant. You see, a disciple is one who has taken up the ways of another. He has taken up the ways. That means that you have laid down your way and you have taken up another's way. And it is very clear when you read the New Testament 
and you listen to what Jesus said in all of his teaching, he was helping mankind understand that there is a better way, there is a higher way, and there is a more prosperous way of living. But in order for you to to experience that, in order for you and I to know that, we are first going to have to lay down our will, lay down our way to follow his. You cannot hold on to both of them and succeed. The tragedy is that's what most people try to do in the day in which we live. It's kind of like reaching for two worlds. And the sad truth is, if you live that way, you're going to ultimately lose both of them. He said, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to become my follower, you must first deny yourself. And then you must take up your cross. And we... We don't have time to get into that tonight, but that is not your spouse. And it's not your kids. Somebody can say, amen, I'm not. You look like deer in a headlight. That's the way I've felt most of the last few weeks in preparation for this. I have felt like there has been a light shining into my life and revealing things about myself that makes me embarrassed at times that I'm not doing better and more for him. But a disciple is one who learns from him and then lives like him. Now here's where we in our Western culture have made the disconnect. We think we can know him, but we don't have to live like him. And so because people have a knowledge of God, they feel safe, they feel comfortable. They call themselves Christians. And they call themselves believers. But I will show you in scripture very clearly that in the New Testament... There was no differentiation between a Christian and a disciple. They were used interchangeably. As a matter of fact, if you want to do a study, you'll find out that the word disciple and disciples is used over 260 something times in the New Testament. And the word Christian is only used three times. So when he was talking about who we are to become as his followers, he called us disciples. Amen. So a disciple is one who conforms his life to the words of another. You get that? They conform their life to the words of another and the ways and the words Of Jesus become the ways and the words of their life. 
Woo. Now it's getting a little bit too tight in here. <laughs> Smile a while. Give your face a rest. But our Western culture has separated those things. And they only view discipleship as just wanting to go a little bit deeper in God. But you don't have to be a disciple to be a believer. I don't know how you make that. This is what one scholar said. Discipleship meant more than just the transfer of information. When you talked about a disciple, it referred to, number one, imitating the teacher's life, implanting and fixing and ingraining and reproducing his values in your life and then reproducing his teachings by reaching others. Therefore, biblical discipleship signifies first that I have a relationship with him and then that I follow him. And now this is another word that's been hijacked by social media. Now we have followers on social media. But I want to tell you that the follower of social media and the follower that Jesus is talking about here are not the same. Because the followers of social media and the tragedy is that kind of thinking has slipped into the church. So that we think if we just give him a good thumbs up on Sunday, we've done our part. But true discipleship, when you live it out, you'll find its example in that lengthy sermon on the mount. And there's so many things in there that will dig you up. Now, I'm not saying this to discourage you and I'm not saying this to make everybody feel like they're backslid. I'm saying this to tell all of us that we have a responsibility to ourselves that if we want to live the best life and the blessed life and the best uh, life for future purposes, then living as that disciple is the best way to get there. Interesting to me, and I don't mean to jump into this, but when Jesus started this Sermon on the Mount, the way that Matthew has it recorded. Before he ever got into the nitty gritty details about how to deal with your neighbor and how to deal with anger issues, and that's part of being a disciple. It's bringing my temper under his control. Whew. We could have a revival if that could happen. How I relate to people, how I treat people, all of that is 
connected, but before he ever got into those deep, nitty-gritty details that just makes you squirm and wish, I, I sure hope 8.30 gets here a little quicker. I'm ready to go home. He starts out his teachings by saying, Blessed is the man. Oh, blessed. And he, he, he gives us what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In the original, it says, oh, the blessedness of that kind of life. Oh, the blessedness of that kind of life. Oh, the blessedness of that kind of life. And he goes down step after step of talking about the blessedness of this kind of life, of meekness. And all of the other components of this uh, message on the Beatitudes and all of it begins with blessing. And this is what I feel like God was trying to imprint upon the mind of everyone who would listen. That I want you to know that my number one desire is to bless you. My number one desire is to prosper you. My number one desire as your creator and your maker is to help recreate you into the image of what I designed you to be in the beginning before sin got its handle on your life. And he said, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. I want to bless you. And these are the ways that I am going to bless Bless you. That's God's ultimate desire. Before he starts trying to get into the messy details of our personal lives and how we're going to have to, we're going to, I'm going to have to make some adjustments in my attitude if I'm going to be a disciple. He said, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. There's nobody like my God. Amen. I said there's nobody like my God. There is nobody like my God that before he would spank me, (laughs) he would gather me in his arms and just hug me and love me and say, oh, let me tell you what I want to do for you. Let me tell you how I want to bless your life. Let me tell you how much I love you. Let me tell you what I have planned for your future. Let me tell you what will lead you down to the, will lead you to a better. Let me tell you what I have purposed in, in this world for your life here. Amen. Ain't nobody like Jesus. Nobody. Pardon my cruel use of the English language, but there ain't nobody like Jesus. Nobody. Amen. And that's the way he is always. He always extends that hand of help because he knows that we are but dust. And so he said, here, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to help you. I want you to make it. I want you to be my disciple. Being my disciple is not going to be easy. 
And the tragedy is in the culture that we have, most of us have grown up in. We have never known of persecution. We have never known of adversity. Our world for a great many years has embraced Christianity. And it has embraced the idea of what we represent. Now we're seeing a great shift in that kind of thinking and there is coming to the surface of our country a socialist mindset that is alienating itself from God and making man the center of everything and we're going to find out before the Lord comes just how closely we are really following him. And I tell you tonight, That scares me. That troubles me. One pastor startled his church one morning by asking this question. What have you done today that nobody but a Christian would do? That is profound. What have you done today? That nobody but a Christian would do. What have I done today that nobody but a Christian would do? Amen. Not only that, but are my actions and my attitude and my spirit and my mindset Christ-like or me-like? Amen. The expectations that Jesus had for his followers, he did not mince his words. He did not sugarcoat them. For us to become more and more like him, this is what he said. Luke chapter 6 verse 40, the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect or mature shall be like his master. In the heart of a disciple, there should be a desire and a decision of settled intent on how you are going to live your life. And in order to do that, you and I are going to have to say to ourselves sometimes, self, you're going to the cross today. Amen. You're going to the cross today. Jesus showed us how his his purpose would take place In his word, when he said, if you want to be my follower, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That passage of scripture has been gnawing in my spirit for quite some time. The question that I keep asking myself, am I really denying Myself. Am I really denying myself? Do I take up 
my cross daily and follow him. The painful reality of being a disciple involves a crucifixion. Mine. Amen. But when I die, I live. When I give up, I get. When I let go, I receive. When I turn, he pours out his blessings upon my life. And so the painful reality is that in every one of those who would call themselves his disciple, there will be a cross of their own. This is how we deal with our flesh. This is how we deal with ourself. This is how we deal with the way of life that we have been so entrenched in, which is empowered by selfishness and self-centeredness. How I relate to God and how I relate to others. How I respond to circumstances. How I respond to pressure. All of those are found in the Sermon on the Mount. And all of them he dealt with in his word. It's an extreme term, disciple. But it's the relationship that God desires for us to have with him. And I will tell you that just as surely as it sent a shiver up the spine of every person that heard him say, unless you take up your cross and follow me, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, as surely as that kind of teaching sent a shiver up their spine, it sends it up ours today because that's a lot to swallow. Someone said that in order to claim salvation that he offers us, each person is faced with the choice to exchange the God of his or her life with Jesus as the true God of of their life. Becoming a disciple requires a counting of the cost. John talks about that in his writings in the sixth chapter. And I want to in particular note something that is said in John chapter 6, beginning with verse 59, Jesus said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Then many of his disciples, when they heard these things, his disciples said this. This is a difficult Saying, who can understand it? And when Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining about this, he said to them, does this cause you to be offended, what I just said of you? Or, and he had just previously been talking to them about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. The symbolism of what that represented Not the literal 
cannibalism that some people would try to convey. But what those things symbolically represented, he said, does that offend you that I would require that of my followers? He said, then if that offends you, what's going to happen when the Son of Man ascends before you? And the understanding of that statement is that before he could ever ascend, he was going to have to first die. Amen. Jesus asked him, does this cause you to be offended? It became apparent to some of Jesus' followers that the point that he was making with them in that setting was that it was going to cost something to follow him. But here's the good news. He always gives you back more than you give up. Always. Amen. I have never had a hangover from a Sunday night blowout. I'm talking about in church. I've never had a hang up, I mean a a hangover from a service where the presence of God was so Wonderfully powerful and present and we were so free and liberated that we danced in the spirit and got drunk. I've never had a hangover from that kind of experience. But there are countless people and some perhaps even in this building right now that could talk about a former life when they knew what a hangover was after tying on a a rounder for the night. The difference between living for him and living the other life is that he's always going to do you better. Amen. He's always going to do you better. So, you know, the bottom line is, what am I really giving up? To follow him, I do have to give up things, but what am I giving up? I'm giving up. Death, I'm giving up anger, I'm giving up hatred, I'm giving up jealousy, I'm giving up strife. Tell me what good any of those things have ever done in your life. They make your blood pressure go up. They cause your blood to boil. They cause us sometimes to lose our composure and raise our voice until we get around. (laughs) But I've never had one gift that God has ever given me or put in my life. That has had regrets with it. It's all been for the better. So he is asking me to give things up. But the irony of it is the things he's asking me to give up are the things that are going to destroy me in the end. 
So why is it so difficult for me to embrace some things that he has given me as guidelines to my life that actually make my life better? Do you know, believe it or not, some of you don't know this, but you're a better person when you're a true disciple. You're easier to live with when you're a true disciple. You're easier to call a brother or a sister when you're a true disciple. When we're really living that life, we're not gossiping. Somebody said, well, I don't gossip. I tell the truth. No, you tell your version of a truth or a story. And here's the trouble with gossip. Gossip doesn't just hurt the person you're talking about. It hurts everybody that's connected to that person. So when you're talking about me or you're talking about somebody else, you're not just talking about them. You're going to affect the others that are involved in their life. And the sad tragedy is that many of the casualties of church gossip are children and grandchildren that suffer because somebody can't control their tongue and they talk about things they shouldn't be talking about. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. You're going to be glad to have Brother Greg back up here, I can tell you. But all of those things that he asked of me to let go of are really the things that are going to destroy life and not build it. And I've got to hurry. I'm closing. You can stand. That will help me shut up. The only sacrifice he really asks us to make are for our good. Now, I know some of you don't believe that because it seems so restrictive. You mean I can't say anything? (laughs) Well, I think some people it would do them good not to say anything. Again, I'm meddling. My mother used to, before she would make, she, she would make me go, she would make me go pick my own willow switch to get a spanking by. Now that's cruel. Bless you, mother. I love you. And if that willow branch didn't happen to be thick enough or big enough, she went and got her own. And then she began the educating. And you could run through the ditch. She would still be right on your backside, whacking away. And I've done all those things, believe it or not. (laughs) But I'll never forget her saying, this hurts me more than it hurts you. 
I thought you are lying. You're going to go to hell. You're going to burn forever. (laughs) But the truth is, that is why she did it. And the truth is that everything that you find in the word of God that puts boundaries on your life are not there to hurt you, but to help you. You see, boundaries and fences are not just to keep things out, but it is to protect that which is within, and it shows ownership. Amen. I want to tell you what I want to do. I want to end my life working on doing the best I can to be a true follower of him. And I want to read his word and I want to let that word speak to me and talk to me. And I want to make those adjustments that I need to make in my life so that I am more like him. Amen. If we do not embrace this idea of discipleship, which is part of God's larger redemptive story, then this is what will happen. We will be deceived by a smaller, twisted version of the story of life. Amen. I want his version. Amen. I want his story. And I'm grateful for that tonight. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you that you are working in all of us tonight. God, I'm thankful that you're still working in me. I pray that you would never let go. You would never stop. I pray that you will continually speak to me so that I would come more in alignment with your will and your purpose and your plan and that your blessings, Lord, would become more evident in my life because I am truly living a life of a disciple that you would be glorified in all that we do and we love you for it and we thank you for it. And we bless you tonight in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Everybody take a real deep breath. Some of you look like you haven't breathed one time since I got started. Take a deep breath. It's over. Until next week. To be continued. No, we will hopefully not be quite so heavy next week. Bless you. I love you. See you Sunday. Oh, by the way, our she's for our, our move the missions offering is right now at almost $23,000. I believe we're going to make the $25,000 mark. So if you have any money to give, make sure you earmark it for move the mission. God bless you. In Jesus name. Woo. Hallelujah. <laughs>